0: Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors like today, and moms around the world. Also today. Hello, Debbie. Thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms.
1: Hi, Ellie. I'm so happy to be here. Okay. So everybody, we are calling The
0: Netherlands. Debbie, sit tight for a moment while I introduce you to our listeners. Debbie Reber is a parenting activist, New York Times bestselling author, podcast host, and speaker who before creating Tilt Parenting spent more than 10 years writing inspiring books for women and teens and speaking about issues like media literacy, self-esteem, and confidence. Debbie moved her career in a more personal direction in 2016 when she founded Tilt Parenting, a website, top parenting podcast, and social media community for parents like her who are raising differently wired children. Today, we'll be speaking about all of that, but also we are featuring her newest book, Differently Wired, Raising Exceptional Kids in a Conventional World. It was published by Workman Books this summer which to uh, listeners who are diving into the archives, it was published in June, 2018. And I'm going to quote Temple Grandin here. She says it will help parents of children who think differently to accept their child for who they are. So you share that one in five kids are what you call differently wired That means ADHD, dyslexia, Asperger's, giftedness, anxiety, sensory processing disorders, and other neurodifferences. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your son, Asher, and how you moved into this new direction with your career.
1: Sure. So I have a 14-year-old, newly 14-year-old son, Asher, who is differently wired. He's got a whole bunch of those uh, labels that you just listed off in terms of how differently wired is defined. And, you know, raising a kid who has more invisible differences, which a lot of the parents that I work with are are in that situation, it's not so obvious that something's going on. And you know, a lot of their differences come out as what might look like inappropriate behavior, or just, you know, a kid who's really spoiled, or really intense and disruptive. And so when you're raising these kids, it's kind of like I describe it in the book as like peeling off a bandaid really slowly to discover what's actually going on with them. And that was certainly the case with Asher. And so you know he's 14 now we've been through it all with him we've been through a number of different schools um i homeschool him now but in trying to navigate a path i really was struck by how hard it is to get information or just kind of figure out how to move through this journey when it is so atypical from what is you know considered a more typical childhood experience
0: at what point did you realize that things might be different for your family?
1: I think, you know, when he was in preschool and that's when we started getting, you know, notes home in the lunchbox or calls or requests to stay after for little meetings here and there because of stuff that happened on the playground or, you know, just kind of really intense behavior. That's when we were like, hmm, you know, is there something different? Um, Or is this just a really strong-willed child, which is what a lot of our friends and family We're trying to convince us of, but I think you know. By the time he was four or five, we knew he was really, really smart. He taught himself to read at a really young age, so we didn't know if that was the cause for the other challenges, or you know what was really going on. And then it was when we went to elementary school, or when I'm when my son did. I didn't go, but when Asher (laughs) went to elementary school, that that's when things really started to get challenging because he just wasn't complying, you know, and conforming in the way that his teachers wanted him to. And so that's when we really knew, okay, something is different here. What are
0: some of the challenges in our current education system?
1: Oh, goodness. There are so many challenges. And I, you know, I actually just want to preface this answer by saying that I think the challenges are for most kids, for most families. So, You know, the what we as parents of atypical kids experience might be more extreme. But I think, you know, generally speaking, the traditional educational system is really not designed to to adapt and support the way that a lot of kids learn. You know, there is no one way to learn. And our system is kind of moving kids Forward in this very kind of linear way, and this one, you know, type of learner. And I would say it probably doesn't meet most kids' needs, but for kids who think differently or who struggle um, with auditory processing issues, for example, or they have slow processing speed, or they have a learning difference like dyslexia, or they have ADHD and they need to move their bodies constantly, you know, being in a classroom that really requires compliance and order and, you know, moving forward on this checklist of uh, learning goals, it's really, really challenging for kids who are not able to, to, you know, to sit quietly and do those worksheets or, you know, turn in their homework on time or sit through a test like that. I was struck
0: in the book by you share that one, you know, one piece of parenting advice is you know, let your children fail. And so, you know, if your kid forgets their homework, let's say, um, and you're going to the school anyway, then, you know, don't bring them their homework, let them fail. Right. And, and then for a lot of parents, that is useful information, but I really appreciated how you mentioned in the book that for you, that that, that does not work because your child would have you know, a major reaction and it, it wouldn't be helpful in teaching him that lesson. Can you share a little bit about that? Because I really like how you say throughout this book and in your work, you know, not everything works for everyone, that's for sure. But like, I love to see the other side of it. I love when a parent is able to say, yeah, I totally see how that would work for some families. But for our family, that would go totally haywire. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: You know, and and I love... And- Jessica Leahy's book the gift of failure and 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 I talk about that in my book that there are so many parenting philosophies that I'm totally down with you know if if I were raising I used to always say and this is embarrassing but if I, I used to say to my husband if I was raising like a neurotypical kid, I'd be such a great mom, you know because mm-hmm. <laughs> I read all the books and you know I'm like, yes, this totally resonates with me but You know, when you're raising a kid who moves through the world differently, some of those strategies are, you know, going to completely backfire on you. And it's tricky because we get advice from, you know, parents or friends who are trying to be really helpful. And we are constantly saying what you just said, you know, that's a that's a great strategy and it completely doesn't (laughs) work for our child, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that all
0: mothers should hear, you know, no matter what they're going through as parents, like, you know, pick and choose. I really think parenting, <laughs> it's, hey, I treat it like a buffet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like what works for my kid and each kid is different I- in my own family. And so with mm-hmm. what w- works for my strong willed older one, you know, it'll be totally different with my younger one. And it was just it was kind of it was a relief to read that in print. So thank you for sharing that. And also, I think, I just really appreciated your overall message that we need to accept our children for who they are and Mm. um, meet them where they are. And one thing that really felt so good to read was to start with the positives. Can you give
1: that piece of advice to our listeners? Yeah, sure. I mean, and again, this... Even talking about this brings up these moments of shame that I have, or maybe not shame, but just some residual guilt about times that I literally threw my kid under the bus because I was trying to save face in a situation or I was trying to overexplain explain what was going on with him. And I found that I was leading with his deficits all the time because, you know, when he was younger, he was a super challenging guy and... I wanted to warn people like this sleepover may not go so well, or, you know, this play date could be tricky and here's why. And I found that I was always like introducing him like, Hey, this is Asher. He can really struggle with games. You know, he gets really upset if this Mm -hmm. happens. And, um, and a lot of that was about me. You know, a lot of that was about me wanting them to realize that whatever they see is not a reflection on my poor parenting. Right. And, you know, and it never feels good to do that. But for some reason, that's the cycle I was in. And so I've really worked hard to reframe, you know, who Asher is, and he has so many strengths. And that's what I lead with now, you know, and there's a way to even turn challenges into strengths, you know, my kid is super passionate about things. And you might see that when he's really excited about things, he can go all in. And it's, it's kind of interesting, because not every kid, reacts that way. You know, there's ways to, to spin things. But our kids know, I believe our kids know when, you know, we're talking about them in a way that um, that is that isn't focusing on their strengths. And they absorb that over time. And it's really important in the words we use and the tone that we set that we are that we are leading with their strengths.
0: When my almost five-year-old now was one, I started noticing her looking up at me when I would talk about her. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's like these ways we're not hedging our bets, but like protecting ourselves. And it sucks because the, like at the airport, when your kid's having a total meltdown and all of these eyes are on you mm-hmm. and I would catch myself like rolling my eyes kind of to sort of be like, I'm in on this too. Like I wish mm-hmm. things were differently, like don't blame me. Instead of sort of tuning out everyone else. And I, God, there's nothing better than to feel like you have an ally. And I, and I'm also ashamed of the times when I wasn't, or even when I was growing up, like, oh, I don't, I, my family was always, you know, I come from a, one side of my family is pretty critical. And so even just at a restaurant, you know, the way that I'd get thrown under the bus when I, I mean, even now, like if I order something and I ask for something on the side, like there, Mm -hmm. there'll be like a joke to the waiter about how difficult I am. (laughs) It's like, like I have a food allergy. Like, (laughs) so Um. I can't even imagine in those little bodies, like experiencing that. So that's. So important to remember, and I'm going to be flying tomorrow, so I'll have to remember it again because my <laughs> one-year-old... opportunity
1: to practice. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Always an opportunity to practice, right? Yeah. But yep. I, I'm sure a lot of listeners are curious about what was your journey through the education system and how did you end up in Amsterdam? I mean, for some of this, they'll just have to read the book and follow along with your podcast, But but let's talk about your journey through the education system with Asher.
1: Well, we start we we did as I said three schools. So we started off in a private school that was for highly gifted kids and this was in Seattle where we were living at the time. And we kind of honestly were like I can't believe they let him in because he must have just had a really good day on visit <laughs> day. Hmm. But uh, you know, but that first year he had a really responsive teacher who really just appreciated him, you know, and while he was very challenging, she respected who he was and we got through and, you know, we finished that year thinking, all right, maybe this is it. We found our place. We're good to go through eighth grade. And then, you know, halfway through first grade, we just, things went downhill really quickly. We did not have a great fit teacher wise. And I started feeling, you know, that Asher was being shamed. I knew he was being shamed in the classroom. He was being bullied by other kids or corrected constantly. And he was getting really anxious and that the the school wasn't very supportive. So we pulled him out, stuck him in another private school where my friend was the assistant head of school. And so I had kind of an in and he was there for the rest of first grade. And then at the end of that year, They said, well, we really love Asher, but, you know, he's, we can't meet his intellectual needs and he takes up too much teacher time. Like we can't accommodate him unless you bring in some extra help. So we're like, okay, we're going to try public school. So we went to public school for second grade and there was a full-time gifted program, which he went to and he had an IP, So he had some accommodations in the classroom But it's still, you know, they couldn't kick him out. So we had that going for us. But it still wasn't a great fit. Like he was not thriving. Ultimately, he was not he was anxious. He was bored. He was really, you know, just an intense, not happy kid. And so right at the end of that year, my husband got an opportunity to transfer to Amsterdam and we were like, well, what do we have to lose? Like, this is not working clearly. And let's just try something new. And so when we made that move, a friend kind of convinced me, she'd been trying to talk me into this for years, but she convinced me that Asher was a homeschool kid. And this was the time to make the switch. And so I was, you know, I describe myself as a reluctant homeschooler. It was not mm-hmm. my plan at all. I was, I was not happy about it. Um, but I knew in my heart that it was the right thing. And so that, you know, that was in the summer of 2013. So we're just starting our sixth year of homeschooling, which is mind blowing to me. And it's been an amazing fit. And, you know, the first year was rough and it's just gotten better and his anxiety's gone. And we're able to, you know, create our school in a way that allows him to really leverage his strengths and, He just is a totally different kid. When you share about
0: behavioral challenges, you give us some. Advice about how we can plan ahead, and I want to share in this book again, like you're so funny, okay, so you share, yes, that was me standing outside a silver hatchback in the Bellevue Square Mall parking lot in two thousand and ten, reading a magazine while an angry boy raged in the car <laughs> so can give yes. us uh give us some tools, Debbie, what can parents do to help their children through? you know, these very challenging moments in public?
1: I think the best thing that we can do is have a plan for ourselves because things go really bad when we're caught off guard or we're, you know, something happens and we're suddenly that deer in the headlights look, we're embarrassed. It is a public situation and And we're just in that safe face mode, or all we want to do is we want it to stop right now. And so we make really, really bad choices, you know, because we're just trying to stop the behavior. So I'm a big fan of planning ahead, you know, making a list of the kinds of situations that are kind of bound to cause trouble. Traveling is certainly one of them, you know, waiting in line for security. I think for us, Exits were always hard, like transitions, leaving the Children's Museum. I remember throwing him over my shoulder once and he was just flailing and screaming, you know. So if you know what those challenging situations are, when you're not in them, make a plan. You know, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to respond. I always carried reading material with me. That was something a coach told me a long time ago. She's like, just pull out your book, pull out your magazine and just wait it out, you know. And that really helped me a lot knowing so, that I could do that. So when you pull out your book, so you're saying that's so for example,
0: you you would put them in the car.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: how do you keep them safe? Do you just turn, you know, obviously you have the car keys and you roll down the windows a little bit and let them rage. Like, how does that look?
1: Yeah, I think when he was younger, I could get him strapped in okay. to the car seat. So he couldn't You know, and then when he was a little older, and I wasn't able to do that, I just, you know, I kind of just let him let him be in the car. And then if he started doing something unsafe, then I would have to go in and address that. And then we'd start over, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is managing your own energy in those situations, because these kids all kids, they read our energy and they mirror it, right? Those mirror neurons. So it's so important that we can stay calm and keep breathing and doing whatever we can. And you know, that's why that magazine or that book can be so helpful because they'll eventually, typically, you know, even the most strong willed child is going to either wear themselves out or they're going to realize you're not reacting and they'll, they'll stop.
0: Well, one piece of advice I'm definitely going to use on my marriage today is what am I making this mean? So mm-hmm. fear is one of the many reasons uh, I behave badly, and I love that you write. One way to get to the heart of things is to explore this simple question: What am I making this mean? So for me, like in my marriage, what am I making this mean? It's like if he forgets to do something that that doesn't mean. Or if he doesn't care about doing something, that doesn't mean he doesn't love me. It just means that he doesn't care about doing that thing. But (laughs) I'll want to make it mean so much more. So how Mm -hmm. has that phrase helped you as a parent?
1: My God, that phrase is such a game changer. It really can be applied to any situation. And so if, if you think about, again, you know, our child's behavior is really... First of all, we know that behavior is communication, right? So but we can't often look at it as communication because it's triggering something in us. And anytime we have an emotional reaction or, you know, we're getting upset or frustrated or whatever it is, it's because of what we're making that particular behavior or situation mean to us. It has nothing to do with what our child's saying. It has nothing to do with reality. And so it's just a practice of continually trying to you know dig beneath the emotions and the the human experience you're having to uncover whatever that thought is you know i'm making this mean that my child will never be independent i'm making this mean that he's never going to get into a college i'm making this mean that you know life is always going to be hard i'm making this mean that i'm a crappy mom you know like there's always something and it's always our stuff and so that's just such a helpful practice to to incorporate into our parenting life. And when you share that, to add the oh, no,
0: I've never heard that before. And I don't know where you got it, but I love it. So basically, when we're going down this crazy path, which I know every listener has been on of what am I making this mean? And it's like I'm making this mean that, you know, yeah, let's say my kid's never going to get into college. So you suggest saying, oh, no, my kid's never going (laughs) to into college and see Debbie even just me saying oh no exclamation point like it brings levity to it for me Mm -hmm. and then I'm like okay this is me
1: being really dramatic Mm -hmm. and it's helpful that is so helpful yeah any way we can separate our thoughts from ourselves and see them as something you know that we're not fused with is going to Uh, it's going to lessen their control of us. But yes, and I can also point out how ridiculous we're being in any given situation. Oh,
0: no. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Debbie, you also share that,
0: and I'm quoting you here, we need to educate parents of neurotypical kids. Okay, so Atomic Mamas, we're all, we're leaning in, we're listening. (laughs) What would you like to say to those of us who are parents of neurotypical children?
1: I would like to say that we need you, you know, we need you as our allies. And for those of us who are raising atypical kids, we can often just feel like we're not part of the club. I use that metaphor in the book a lot. We want to be in your club, but we're not. <laughs> so and, and some of the ways you can just kind of be aware that our kids actually your kids are going to be working with our kids, their classmates, their friends with these kids. And we all really benefit as a society. And we will in the future if our kids are embraced, if differently wired kids are encouraged to develop and nurture their gifts. So we need you because you guys are so powerful in the PTAs and, and in the school system to help us in our fight for more inclusion and to be more understanding about kids who May not be conforming in the same way, and know that um, most of the time these aren't behavioral choices. These aren't bad kids; they're kids who are wired differently, and they deserve to be embraced for who they are, as just as any kid does.
0: Towards the end of the book, uh, I read that you've trained with Martha Beck, who is a guest on Atomic Moms, and for those who don't know, she's a bestselling author like yourself, and one of Oprah's life coaches, and. I was like, of course. Like I was getting the same mm-hmm. warm, fuzzy feeling with your book that I get when I would read hers. You share these moments of reflection that I think any human being would find helpful. And there was one that uh it made me, I was like, oh God, I have more work to do on this one. So if maybe moms, you can listen now and and think about this yourselves. I'm gonna share three of these. Points of reflection. One is, how concerned am I about what others think about my parenting style or choices? How do I suffer when I prioritize others' thoughts and opinions over what I think, feel, or know to be true? And how is my child affected when I prioritize others' thoughts and opinions over what I think, feel, or know to be true? And that goes back to the beginning of our conversation of, you know, how can we be our children's ally instead of throwing them under the bus? But, Debbie, you know, we've got like about four minutes left of this podcast. So how do I get over caring what other people think? (laughs) Because um, I've spent so much money. My therapist has tried to crack this for me and I'm giving you four (laughs) minutes and I, I fully expect you to be able to do so. How do I get over what
1: people think? You just followed this three-step process. No, there is no (laughs) three-step process. It is an ongoing process, I'm sorry to say, but it really starts by noticing. Everything is about noticing, which is, you know, some people call it reflecting, mindfulness, whatever it is, but we have to be willing to continually examine our uncomfortableness and lean into it instead of pushing it away and And keep asking the question, why is this bothering me? What am I making this mean? What am I making it mean that this person thinks I'm a bad mom? What am I, you know, we have to just keep asking that question. And over time, if you're willing to be honest with yourself and explore that, it just starts to lessen. I think we also can really recognize where we judge ourselves because we all do it. You know, I caught myself judging a parent who was harshly disciplining our kid the other day. I have no idea what's happening in that mom's life or I, I, it's just not my place to do that. So we can recognize our own instincts and and doing that helps us realize, oh, this is still triggering stuff in me. This has nothing to do with that child. So it's it's an ongoing practice, I'm sorry to say, but it does get better. if you If you're committed to the practice, it will lessen over time.
0: When I was up at 5.45 this morning with my one-year-old. That was really me practicing the whole like accepting what is. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we actually had a really great morning because of that. Like your book put me in a better mood uh, oh, to accept yay. it. So I was like, but this is actually really great <laughs> because I get this time with her by myself before her big sister comes downstairs and everything gets really chaotic. You get to have this sweet time together And I was also listening to your podcast and I was listening to the episode with your husband who Mm -hmm. was, that was like such a great episode. And now I really want to meet your husband. (laughs) So can you share a little bit about what your, you know, like if, if our mamas get involved in the Tilt Parenting community, what, what can they look forward to if they check out your podcast?
1: Yeah, I interview all kinds of parenting experts. I interview Asher quite a bit, which is really fun because he's super articulate and he can express why he experiences so many things. So it's kind of like a window into your kid's mind um, through Asher. And uh, this was only the second time I brought my husband on the show. We'll see if he'll come back again. But, you know, I'm really trying to just provide a wide range of support for parents on all different kinds of experiences so they can be more present and in choice. And then also in Tilt, I'm just launching um, called Tilt Together in-person groups because I've heard from so many parents that they want to connect on the ground with other parents like them. So that's kind of a new venture I'm just dipping my toe into and seeing how I can support in real life communities. We have a really thriving Virtual community on Facebook and through some of my online offerings, but I'm excited about the potential for this too. How can our listeners find you? TiltParenting.com is the home, and you can connect with me directly through there. And I'm on all the social media: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those at Tilt Parenting. And the podcast is um, on Apple Podcasts. It's also called Tilt Parenting, so it's pretty easy to find.
0: Oh, Debbie, this was so wonderful. Thank you so much. In closing, do you have a mom bomb you can share with us that we can take into the
1: week? Yeah. So, my favorite quote is I don't know if it's new for your listeners, but it's by Neil Donald Walsh, and it's that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I live that quote every single day. I live my life taking leaps and I would just encourage your listeners to take leaps and to not live in that place of fear, but really lean into being uncomfortable because that's where all the good stuff is. I promise you.
0: Awesome. Okay, listeners, don't forget to reach out on social media at Atomic Moms, subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms, join our Facebook community. And until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms.